just saying, preacher. I'm saying, come on, take a journey with me. Let's go 6,091 miles. Let's go back to Calvary and see that God is still a healer and a savior and a blesser. And he's in this house. Welcome to the NLCC Lancaster podcast. The following message is titled Golgotha, 6,091 miles to Lancaster and was spoken by Pastor Gary Keller. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at nlcclancaster.com. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I speak to you today from this thought, Golgotha, 6,091 miles from Lancaster. But that doesn't stop the flowing of his presence to make its way to this place today. And everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, for after that In the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, for the Jews required a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, that's a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It was in 1227 AD or uh, 792 years ago that the Bible was divided into chapters and verses. If you were to have opened a Bible 791 years ago or three years ago, if you please, uh, we would not have been able to say to you, go to Acts chapter 2. There would be no Acts chapter 2. There would just be the book of Acts or the book of John or, if you please, the book of Jeremiah. There were no chapters and verses until Stephen Langston, an archbishop from Canterbury, put the modern chapter divisions into place, and he did that 792 years ago. Prior to 1227, if you wanted to join someone in the Holy Writ, Here's how you would find where they were at in your Old or New Testament. A person would simply quote the first part of a passage from a desired Old Testament or New Testament book that they wished to read from, and then people would find that beginning verse. They would thumb through the the pages of Old Testament writ, find the beginning of that verse, and then they would join you for that reading. They could not go to Psalm 150 or Psalm 1 or Jeremiah 17. 
But on that fateful day, with that in mind, that fateful day when Jesus was crucified, while hanging on the cross from 9 a.m. until 3 in the afternoon for six agonizing hours, Jesus made seven statements from the cross. The fourth statement that he made goes like this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, I have preached, and I'm sure you've heard it, and it's probably true, that there was a side of the flesh, the Mary side of Jesus that felt forsaken, hanging on a cross, left alone to die between two malefactors, between heaven and earth. I'm sure that he felt that way. But if you look at this carefully, that fourth statement found in Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Could it be that Jesus made this statement and when he made it, he was sending a message to the world, inviting them to join him in the prophetic word written by King David in his writings. Could it be that Jesus wanted them to know that his death on Calvary was prophesied about, and this was the fulfillment of that prophecy. This was the fulfillment that through his death, through the will of God, through the sacrifice of the flesh of Jesus Christ, that there was something powerful going to happen. I don't think that Jesus was complaining that he was dying on Calvary. I believe that he was sending a message for people to find that passage my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And to find it today, we turn to Psalm chapter 22, and there it is. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And from chapter 22, verse 1, to the end of that chapter, verse 31, we find the prophetic word flowing out of the book of Psalms, predicting and declaring that there would be a death, that there would be a burial, and that there would be a resurrection. Jesus was sending a message the fourth statement from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look it up, folks. I know I'm stretched high and wide on Golgotha's hill. I know I'm 6,091 miles from Lancaster, but look it up because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'm going to die today, but I'm not going to die in vain. I'm going to die on purpose. And if you look at verse 31 of chapter 22 of the book of Psalms, in the Amplified Bible, the last statement in that book simply goes like this. And I think you've heard this somewhere. Somewhere in the seven statements from Calvary, you've heard Psalm 22:31, where Jesus said on Calvary and David said in Psalm 22:31, it is finished. And if you study this carefully, you will see that when he made the, oh Lord, help me Jesus. When he made the statement in Psalm 22:31, there were no chapters, 
There was no chapter 22, chapter 23, verse 1, verse 31. It just flowed together. And when Jesus said, it is finished, when the prophetic words of David were penned 4,000 years prior to Calvary, when we find David prophetically saying, it is finished, the next statement we read is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Hallelujah. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David said, this is what I see after his crucifixion, after he has made the statement, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And after he makes the concluding remarks, it is finished. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's why we have been praying for the last three weeks for this moment because we want our God on this Sunday not to be left on Calvary's cross or in a tomb, but we have to recognize the fact today that he came out of the grave with all power in heaven and in earth and today we want him to be your shepherd. We want him to lead you beside the still waters. We want him to walk with you through the valley in the shadow of death. We want the goodness of God to follow you all the days of your life. We are seeing right now the fulfillment of Psalm 23 on this Sunday. It goes back this way in Revelation 13 and 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, this was his plan from the beginning. Pre-adventure Adam and Eve will mess up. Pre-adventure man will become wicked on the face of the earth. Pre-adventure that it repented God that he even made man. God said, if that happens, I have a plan. All already in effect. I am the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that brings us to a very important place today in 1 Corinthians 1.18 for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. As you study Calvary as you study Golgotha the place of the skull, you will note that the cross was simply a means of execution by the Roman government. An execution that spelled the end of a person's life here on earth. But Jesus transformed Golgotha's hill, the place of death, the place of the skull, the place of the cross. Jesus transformed it from what the Romans intended for it to be to a powerful entity you and I can embrace today. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you that it might transform your life. Jesus transformed the cross, the meaning of the cross, into something more than the end. Prior to Calvary, 
A crucifixion meant the end. But when Jesus gets involved in anything, it's not the end. It is the beginning. He transformed the cross into a powerful means of salvation or a new beginning for you. The cross was a place of shame. It was never meant to be a place of power until Jesus was crucified on Golgotha's hill. The cross was a place of punishment, but he made it something precious by the shedding of his blood. The preaching of the cross to those who perish, it's foolishness. But on this Easter Sunday morning, the preaching of the cross to those who are saved, it is the power of God. The cross was a place for a man to die for his sins, but Jesus made it a place that he would die for my sins. The carnal mind cannot comprehend this truth. Pride always calls the things of God foolish, but I declare unto you 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today, for ye see in your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many wise nobles are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound those things which are mighty. In other words, the foolish and the carnal mind cannot receive the real truth of Calvary. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But on this Sunday morning in this house of worship, the preaching of the cross to those who are saved, it is the power of God. Listen, listen to me carefully. But unto those which are saved, it is the power of God. I come to this pulpit on Easter Sunday morning to preach to you that we are saved and that we are being saved and that we shall be saved. Why? Because of what transpired on Calvary 6,091 miles from Lancaster, Ohio. Now this morning in this house of worship on an Easter Sunday, there is life. Because of what happened, it's not foolish just to me. It's my salvation. If you look at it carefully, here's, here's what I personally get out of Calvary. Out of the death, the burial, the resurrection. Here's what comes to my mind on this Sunday morning. When you are hungry, he becomes your bread of life. Because of Calvary, when you're lost, he becomes your savior. When you're destitute, he becomes your provider. When you are sick, he becomes your great physician. It was on Friday night that I received a call from Tanya and Sam Bird, and they said in that message, and I was down in Waverly at 10 o'clock on, on, on uh, Friday night praying for someone else, and I get a text message that, that uh, the sweet little Alana uh, has, um, has gone to the ER with a fever of 105, and so when I got back in the car, I called them and we prayed, and I got a message at about 2 o'clock in the morning that said, the healing virtue of Jesus has touched our little baby and the fever has gone back to normal. Now listen, if you've got a child with 105 fever, that's concerning. But she's here this morning worshiping God on this Easter. I thank God for his healing power. That's all because of Calvary. I said, that's all because of Calvary. You might say, well, it was just a little girl with a fever. Well, it wasn't your girl, but it was their girl. And they cried. They called crying. God has touched our baby. I'm just telling you that don't, don't call Calvary foolishness. It is the power of God unto salvation. 
While I was receiving those text messages, I made my way down to Waverly with the Fergusons to pray for Sister Kim's mother, Helen. And, and there I, I prayed for her and on my way back, from driving down there an hour later at 10.50 p.m. Friday night, I get this text message from Sister Kim Ferguson, whose mother's blood pressure had dropped down to 80 over 40. They called the family in, don't know how long it's going to be, and this is what she texted back to me at 10.50. Mom has made the biggest improvement I've seen yet. Since you prayed with her, she said she's feeling so much much better. And I love this statement, Sister Kim Ferguson. Prayer has activated her faith. And then Sister Kim said, it goes to show you that there's nothing like the ministry of the laid on of hands. And she's doing fantastic today. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, come on, take a journey with me. Let's go 6,091 miles. Let's go back to Calvary and see that God is still a healer and a savior and a blesser and he's in this house if you need something today I challenge you in the name of Jesus to lift your spirit lift your heart lift your faith touch the hem of his garment and God will set you free come on somebody let's clap our hands under the Lord and praise him for his deliverance Hallelujah. What do we preach? What are we preaching? What's this all about? Here's what we're preaching today. We preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, that's a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, that is foolishness. But unto us, it's the power of God unto salvation. Calvary, we preach Christ crucified. Here's what I get out of that. I wrote this down last night. This is what I get out of that statement. When I was condemned, I wish somebody would just say amen right here. When I was condemned to die, he became my sacrificial lamb. When I was lonely, he became my friend. When I was burdened down with the cares of this life, he became my burden bearer. When I was struggling in the darkness, he became the light. In the bondage of sin, he liberated me. When I was walking in fear, he became my prince of peace. When I was hungry, he became the bread of life. When I was lost, he became my savior. When I was destitute, my provider. When I was sick, he became my physician. I'm just telling you, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, for when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But here's the good news on this Sunday morning. God commended his love toward us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say you get good enough and I'll take care of it. He didn't say you climb out of that, that sinful place. No, he said while you're still there, while you're still in sin, while you're still in bondage, while you're still in the miry clay, I'm climbing up to Calvary. Hallelujah, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. I'm sending the revelatory power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, it's in this house today because he died for you. As the musicians come and the praise singers come, Calvary is like a bell that never stops ringing. Calvary is the accomplishment that never needs repeating.
Calvary is an event that must never be forgotten. It's an oasis that never runs dry. It's an altar that never rejects a prodigal son or daughter. Calvary is the ark of safety available on this Easter Sunday. Calvary is your only way to heaven. Hallelujah. I don't know if they have a picture. Someone sent me this picture this morning, and I forwarded it to them, the, the multimedia people, and I'm not sure they were able to get it up or not, but there's an empty tomb. Hallelujah. Is it up there? Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the stone was rolled away. He came out of the grave with all power in heaven and in earth. But I have to share with you in closing something that happened a few days prior to the empty tomb. Just please leave that scripture up or that picture up there if you would please. I'm going to read a scripture. It simply says this. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give sop when I have dipped it. And I was curious because I've never heard anyone preach from that word S-O-P, sop. This is what he's saying at the Last Supper with his disciples. He's saying, don't forget, I took the bread. The word sop in your dictionary means to take a piece of bread and dip it into a liquid. I've seen some of you sop up your gravy. That's what I'm talking about. Watch this now. Jesus said, don't forget, this is the Last Supper, Golgotha is just ahead of me. And he's saying, don't forget, this is what it's all about. I'm going to take the bread. And that begs the question, what kind of bread? Well, it's unleavened bread. Beware of leaven. In your Bible, it says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In your Bible, it says, beware of the leaven of Herod. Because leaven is bread that has yeast in it that causes it to puff up. It builds itself up. It's all about the bread. And Jesus said, no, when it comes to being my body, my church, my ecclesia, the called out, you have to be unleavened. There cannot be any yeast in you. There cannot be the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees in you. No, the unleavened bread has to die. The leaven has to be taken out of it. I've never seen this before until this week. So what does that mean? That means that on this Easter Sunday morning, a service that we've had 15 prayer meetings over, it means that you are the only one that can take the leaven out of your life. The thing that causes you to be proud, that, that builds you up. Man's idea, the foolishness of this world. You have to, well, how do I get rid of the leaven, pastor? You have to die. Well, how do I die? You repent 
Lord, not my will, not the will of things that cause me to rise up, the leaven that elevates me. No, Lord, forgive me of my sins. God, help me with the leaven that's in my life. And Jesus said, when the leaven is gone, when you are unleavened bread, that's when he took that unleavened bread that had no life in it and he dipped it in the fruit of the vine. He dipped it in the wine. And the Bible says that there is life in the blood. And the fruit of the vine represented the life of Jesus Christ. So when he said at the Last Supper, if you get all this leaven out of your life, my blood's going to give you life more abundantly that's going to last forever. You can do it your way. You can live it your way. You can live an unrepented life. You can just go on and do your thing and forget about God and say that preaching stuff is all foolishness. Or you can say, you know what? On this Easter, I'm dying out to myself. I'm getting rid of all the leaven. Why? Because I want Christ in me, the hope of glory. I want to repent of my sins and be baptized in the powerful name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins, that I might receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that his blood can be applied to my life. That's what it's all about. It's all about him. After you repent, after you take care of everything in your life that's not supposed to be there, then you give your life to him. And he says, now let me show you real life. And he dips you into his blood. The blood will never lose its power. And before they sing and before we pray, I just have one more statement to make. And that is this. He's back. They buried him in a sepulcher. But three days later, he's back. He didn't just come back then, but 6,091 miles from Calvary in Lancaster, Ohio, he's back on this Sunday morning. And he's here saying to you, give me a chance. Let me show you the way. Let me show you the way, the truth, and the life. Let me give you my spirit. Let the Holy Ghost overshadow you. I'll heal your body. I'll touch your mind. I'll save you on a Sunday morning. Repent of your sins. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast.